SEO. It's the acronym that can mystify and even intimidate. But what if I told you that there is a secret recipe to ranking success that doesn't solely rely on your brand's name recognition? That's right. We are unfolding the layers of non-branded SEO and how a little savoir-faire in content creation can have your website climbing the search engine ranks. From French macaron to the digital search of a storefront, our guest, Anthony Roseman's story, is as rich and colorful as his delicious pastries. He's here to share insights on building a content library that not only ranks, but entices and converts. Prepare to satisfy your marketing cravings with a taste of SEO success. So stay tuned to this next episode of the Your Digital Marketing Coach Podcast. Digital, social media, content influencer, marketing, blogging, podcasting, vlogging, TikToking, LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, YouTube, SEO, SEM, PPC, email marketing. Whew. There's a lot to cover. Whether you're a marketing professional, entrepreneur, or business owner, you need someone you can rely on for expert advice. Good thing you've got Neil on your side. Because Neil Schaefer is your, your digital, digital marketing, marketing coach. coach. Helping you grow your business with digital first marketing, one episode at a time. This is your digital marketing coach, and this is Neil Schaefer. Hey, everybody. This is Neil Schaefer, your digital marketing coach. Welcome to episode number 357. Before we get to today's interview with my special guest, Anthony Rosemont, parlez-vous français, je parle un peu français, it's time for a personal update on the book. This podcast interview actually comes from writing my book. I have a chapter dedicated to this concept of creating a library of content. And when I was looking for case studies that I could use to prove my concept, I happened to run across this case study on the SEMrush or SEMrush website that featured this maker of macarons who actually is just an hour outside of me in Los Angeles. It's a really amazing story. And I think you'll hear the results he got were amazing as well. And yes, this is being repurposed to be a case study in a chapter in my book. I know that my book still does not have a name. It does. I haven't yet revealed it to the public, but I continue to proceed forward right now, continue to be in project management mode, dealing with trying to get a book cover to fit my concept a little bit better, and also dealing with the creation of book illustrations, also making progress on my workbook, which will be a companion workbook for this book. The first time I've ever done it, but I think as an educator and wanting you to really internalize and get started on everything I teach in the book, I thought that would be a great way to do that. So stay tuned for those updates. And we also have our AI tool of the week. I like introducing these to you. There's still so much technology out there that has evolved over the last year. And you don't want to wait for the current tool that you're using to start having AI functionality. Not every tool has AI functionality. And even some that do it's not really a lot of added value. You might be able to get the same thing in a ChatGPT or a Google Gemini. Now, today, I want to introduce to you a tool that you've heard me talk about before in this podcast. Disclaimer, I am a ambassador, or I should say brand ambassador for this brand and for this product, but that is in no way influencing my introducing this tool to you. The tool is Adobe Express. Now, we know that in terms of just easy-to-use graphic tools for social media, 
the five-letter tool that begins with the letter C was first to market. But like many other tools, let me ask you, do you still use TweetDeck to manage your social media? Do you still use Hootsuite to manage your social media? I think over time, new tools come out, they emerge, and they are often better thinking of what functionality do the current gorillas in the market lack? Now, Adobe, I believe, has had the same approach with Adobe Express. It used to be called Adobe Spark. So they've been doing it for a few years, and now they've come to a point with infusing it with AI and really easy-to-use user interface with tons of attractive templates. I urge you, if you haven't done so before, go to neilshafer.com slash Adobe Express. Yes, it's an affiliate link. It helps support the production of the show. But you can try Adobe Express basically for free for lifetime. They have a limited free lifetime version. Check it out. I think the user interface will be a pleasant surprise. In terms of AI functionality, it uses the Adobe Firefly AI engine. It also uses the same sort of generative AI fill. So with one touch, with one click, you can remove the background from an image and then you can have a text prompt and ask Adobe Express to basically fill in the background with any image that you want. This is the same AI generative fill that Photoshop uses that is available in Adobe Express as well. Obviously, there is AI resizing of images. There is AI translation of captions in your image. And in fact, if you were to see a video that I did some time ago, I actually showed how to do, basically in a minute, used text to image, edit the text, and then immediately create like five different variations for five different social networks, and then each one of those in five different languages. Pretty freaking incredible. So go to neilshafer.com slash Adobe Express. We will have the link in the show notes as well. All right, now it's time for this interview, which I truly enjoyed. This is with my French friend, the macaron maker himself, Anthony Rosemont. Make sure you stick to the end. It was a great interview. You're listening to Your Digital Marketing Coach. This is Neil Schaefer. Hey, everybody. Neil Schaefer, welcome to another live stream edition of the Your Digital Marketing Coach podcast. As I continue my pursuit of writing my fifth book, which I hope becomes a definitive digital marketing playbook for a new generation of entrepreneurs and business owners. I am scouring the web, looking for case studies that fit the vision that I have for my book, that fit what I want to teach others to do. And in doing that research, I come across a lot of really, really interesting businesses doing a lot of interesting things. So today, I'm gonna introduce to you one of those small business owners who has had major impact in something that might surprise you. It surprised me because when you think of French pastries, macarons specifically, you might think that Instagram or perhaps TikTok is a place where you can generate a lot of demand for your business. And it is, right? And I know that our guest today is also active, at least on Instagram, I didn't check the TikTok. But SEO is also a place where this owner decided to make a big investment. And I think it's going to be a really, really interesting story and hopefully really inspire you because this gentleman, you know, with his wife and family moved from France to the United States to open up an online macaron shop. There's going to be a lot more behind the story. So I can't wait to get into it. Anthony Roseman, the founder and owner or co-owner of Pastries, welcome to the show. Yes. Hi. Thanks for having me. 
it, it, it's so great to have you. And uh, obviously, I read about you through your case study on SEMrush, um, but it mentioned that you went all the way from France, the United States to, you know, open up this shop. Can you maybe start with, you know, what, what was that vision? What was that dream? Why did you come thousands of miles to this foreign country uh, to do what you're doing now? So, yeah, my wife and I, we both had patience for uh, baking and entrepreneurship together. So we decided to leave everything uh, in France to the U.S. back in 2017 now. And um, the idea was to build an online, an online store about French pastries. And in the beginning, we didn't know much, you know, that uh, what would be a good impact for the market in the U.S. Like what kind of French pastry you guys like? So we just, you know, bring a lot of a lot of different things to the table, and uh, and um, the macarons were were the most popular ones. So that's why we focused on this one first, and that's that's kind of how we we all started. It, to put a long story short, you know. So what made you? Were you already doing this in France? You already had a, a pastry shop, and then you decided to take it, or no, 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 no. Uh, I'm a, I'm an engineer originally. Um, oh wow! So I was a manager in. The, I would say the Edison of France, uh, managing some teams, operational manager, and my wife was a human resource. So we traveled quite a lot. Um, we did three years in the French West Indies, which was um, you know in the Caribbean, and we did a couple of years as well uh, in the Réunion Island, which is in the Indian Ocean next to Madagascar. So at some point, we we really wanted to do our own stuff, and um, so we had this discussion. You know, what do we like to do? For me, I like, of course, baking, but I also like, you know, every like every aspect of the of the online stuff, like you know, digital marketing, building a brand online, all that is things that I really love to do. And she was really interested into this idea, so we we just, you know, we just left everything and and decided to try. Were you a trained chef in French pastries before you started? Before, no. Uh, we just had that patient, you know, doing that at home. Okay. So before to actually leave, what we did is we we had um, Le Cordon Bleu in Paris. It's like an intensive pastry uh, program where you learn like one pastry every day. And that's what we did, you know, to kind of have, uh, you know, you have the passion part that you do at home, but you need to do like a, a professionally uh, train just to see, you know, kind of the secret for the recipe to put them in, in huge batch as well. So that was that was a cool experience, you know, the Cordon in Paris. So we did that before to leave, so we can have like a, a professional background as well. Got it. So you went from there, came to the United States with the concept of French pastries, not knowing what people would like, and you landed upon the macaron. Was there a a process where you test selling different products to find that? Was it market research, or how, how did you how did you hone in on on the macaron as your main product? Yeah, yeah. So the first time when we arrived, uh, so we arrived in February 2017. And, uh, you know, three months, very simple. Uh, we were in the Airbnb and just, you know, with two luggage starting from scratch. And before to start selling anything, I wanted to find the product market fit. So the idea was to get feedbacks. You know, at some point we didn't have a product, we didn't have a business. I wanted to to know what what do people like here and if there is a, a fit, you know, for our product to the market. So what we did is we went onto the app called um, Vita and uh, uh, what we were doing is like offering free pastries samples, like different kind of French pastries. So it was like macarons, it was different kind of cakes, pies and all that. 
and we will just go to these meetings and just share with them these uh, these pastries and get like you know for free and get feedbacks in exchange. And that's how we kind of ended up uh, in a in a group of pregnant women with twins. So it was like twins pregnant women. That was kind of fun because you know we we were not pregnant at all, but it's just you know surrounded by by twin pregnant ladies and husbands, and um, we bring like French pastries to the table. That, that was a cool cool situation. You said these were Apple meetups. You know, it's like an app. Oh, meetups.com. Got it, got it. Yeah, meetups. Yeah, you have an app that you can, you know, meet people with uh, the same interest as you and things like that. So you were finding just people to meet up with locally where you were, various places. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like a group of people that were open to uh, to taste those, um, you know, and, and give us some feedbacks. That's brilliant. Okay, so you landed on the macaron and, you know, obviously you figured out how to, how to make them. How did you decide on, I guess, for lack of a better word, like the launch plan or the marketing plan or outside of those people you were meeting on Meetup, how are you going to promote these? And because it's an online store, I assume, although I think you have an in-person store as well, how, you know, what, what was sort of the marketing plan at the start? So this very beginning one, it was really like the feedback stage, I would say. But after that, what we wanted to do is the next step is like a validation, you know, uh, we wanted to get sales to see and to still be in front of people to see it, you know, because online uh, you can do pretty much everything, but you don't meet people. And before to go online, I wanted to, to really meet people and see their face when they try our stuff. So what we did is now that we know macarons are popular, we're going to start with those. And um, we wanted to go to farmer's markets. So it's kind of a next step. You know, now it's a, it's a business, even if it's a small one, you know, with, with just markets going here and there. But, you know, we have a product now, so we're trying to do some macarons and we bring it to the table and trying to sell to real customers. So, you know, finding the right price, finding the right flavors, the right colors. That was the idea behind this phase as well. And, uh, of course, you know, get the first sales and see how, how the business can go, you know. So the next step was this one, the farmer's markets that we did. And you live, I'm actually not too far from you in Orange County, but but yeah, yeah. so... I'm assuming like every day of the week, literally, there's probably a different farmer's market that you could have gone yes. to. Yes, so. yeah, yeah. We did three of them. And actually, I was even closer to you because we were in Costa Mesa. Oh, wow. Um, okay. Newport and Malibu. So that was the three farmer's market that we did at the time. And we did it for maybe a couple of months, you know, six months maybe. And the beginning, we saw like, you know, trends in terms of flavors, uh, for example, salted caramel or pistachio, things like that. That was the idea to get like the popular flavors. And then in parallel, I was starting to um, to build the Shopify store. So that kind of, you know, went head to head together. I was kind of getting the feedbacks from the markets that I was putting into the website. And you were still making, you didn't have a retail store then, you were still making these at home and then bringing yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, exactly. We had like a rent, uh, rental kitchen, a commercial, commercial kitchen that you can rent, you know, by the hour. So oh, nice. we, were, we were using those, uh, you know, to produce the macarons. So when you were at these farmer's markets, then you were not promoting like a website, basically come back next week if you want to buy more type of... Yeah, in the beginning, not, but in the uh, towards the middle of the, this experience, yes, because the website wasn't done in the beginning. But once it was done, I, I uh, what I did is like physically I had a, like an email list that I would like uh, have people sign up for the newsletter and let us know their email. 
uh, in, in exchange like of, uh, you know, a couple more macarons for free. So that worked pretty well. We, we built up, you know, a, a good list. But of course, you know, since it's farmer's markets, you are limited to the people that are in front of you. So you can't really scale that much. But it was kind of the first, um, I would say, the first marketing um, aspect to it, you know. Really smart. You were already building up your list and you had a lead magnet, which is free macarons, which is awesome. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Was the list being built like, you know, 10 or 20 each day, 50, 100? Do you remember sort of like the volume? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was probably yeah, 10 to 20 each day uh, since, you know, you have need people to accept it, to yeah. write. And then, you know, so it's like uh, people in the market sometimes are in a hurry. So it was kind of, you know, different. But yeah, probably 10 to 20 a day. Um, so yeah, uh, by the end of the, the farmer's markets, a couple hundred uh, emails, um, you know, from, from locals. So then you were building, you, you chose Shopify as your, your e-commerce CMS, which makes a lot of sense, obviously. So you, now you're building your website. Now you want to launch your website, right? So yeah. where, how did you shift the marketing at that phase? To tell you the whole thing, uh, in the very, very beginning, we wanted to do a subscription box only. So it wasn't even Shopify in the very, very beginning. We, we had another platform that was focused on subscription box. Because our idea in the beginning was to have a, a French pastry subscription box, like every month getting a new kind of French pastry. Mm. But um, that business model was very limited, you know, to people wanting to engage into a subscription. So we got like uh, lots of requests to have, you know, one-time order and everything. And that, that platform that we had at the time only handled subscriptions. So that's how we really switched to Shopify in the very early days. Because it was, you know, more flexible. We, we already have, we also have a, a subscription box today, you know, but uh, you can do more stuff with Shopify. Definitely. But yeah, now that we have the Shopify thing going on, we were doing the farmer's market still in, in parallel in the beginning. And uh, the, the switch, I would say, was more like, um, I would say I was starting early on to, to work on SEO because uh, SEO is really the organic part of things that I like. People will find you because of, of your product, of, of your blog post or whatever, but they will find you naturally within Google. So early on, I started to focus really on SEO. Got it. So I guess similar to how if you want to get your product found in real life, go to farmer's markets. If you want to get it found online, do SEO, right? So I, I, I want to take a step back. So you, you, know, you launched a subscription box, launched a Shopify store. Did you sort of learn how to do this all yourself? Did you? you know, hire an agency to do all this for you? Or what was the, the process? I would say towards, uh, like throughout the years before, uh, before coming in the US, I always had like this online marketing passion. So I, I knew about SEO, but I had to dig in at some point. I, I don't, uh, so especially in the beginning, we don't have the resource to, to hire too many people. And um, it was important for me to learn this kind of stuff. So I really learned it myself, like, you know, through our blogs. Uh, different stuff that I saw online, and obviously SEMrush was a big, big help. You know, their tool is very great. So yeah, Agreed. yeah, I kind of really learned myself in the beginning. It's a long strategy, but I started to study the competitors first to see what they are doing and what we can do better. Got it. So the Shopify store that you put up, you put up yourself then, correct? The web design, all that. Yes. Yeah. 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 Wow. The, um, so the design, the, the logos, the, the, the identity of the brand, the, the story behind it. Yes, we, we, did, we did all that. Very cool. So you then shifted to SEO. So, you know, the case study in SEMrush is about how you were targeting 
non-branded keywords, obviously. So if people are interested in, in Macaron, how do we get found? I'm assuming was the original, you know, start. So can you sort of describe that that process to everybody of what you did and what the results ended up being? Because I was really impressed by by what I read of what you were able to achieve for a pretty competitive keyword in a really short amount of time. The really first thing that I focused on is read the competitors because, you know, when you arrive new in the market, at least that was my approach, but uh, you don't arrive to reinvent, you know, the, the butter or something. So I studied what they were doing good and what they are doing bad and that I can, you know, enter into that bridge. So the first one I noticed is was the macarons near me, the, the near me, uh, keyword at the time was getting popular, but not that many people were ranking for it. So I directly attacked this keyword, uh, you know, by adapting like a product page to answer people's questions about macaron near me. So that was my really first approach to it. So you mentioned a, a product page. So was this like an FAQ, a blog post? How did, how did you create content to target that very specific key phrase? Yeah, in the beginning, it was really not, um, it was easier, I would say, to rank for such an easy keyword because near me now is really complicated keywords to get. But at the right. time, um, especially for macarons near me, it wasn't, uh, you know, nobody was really ranking hard for it. So I kind of added like the, the header name, you know, the product name is 48 macarons, for example. So it's a product page so you can buy and add to cart and everything. So it's not a blog post, you know. And so I adapted, you know, the, the tags, like the H1 tags, uh, putting um, some related keywords here and there, cool sentences related to it. And that was kind of it in the beginning. And we wow. started to rank very fast for this one because it wasn't such a competitive keyword. Yeah. And when I saw that, I started the same strategy for other keywords like buy macarons or um, macarons shipped, you know, everything related to macarons. Got it. So... You started by looking at the keywords that your competitors were ranking for, which obviously is very, very easy to do in SEMrush. Did you ever sort of look at, you know, SEMrush also has like keyword explorer, like put in macaron and go through all the different keyword variations and, and the difficulties and the volumes. Did you, you go through that process as well? Or did you just stick with what your competitors were ranking for, for ideas? No, no, no. So uh, the, the competitors actually were ranking for different keywords and I wanted to rank it for, I would say, I, I, you know, with SEMrush, I would see a gap, the gap, you know, like the ones, the, the keywords that they are ranking for and right. the ones that they are not ranking for, but that are very good keywords, you know, like buying intent keywords. So once I did the, the macarons near me and, and all these, you know, buying intent related, I started yeah, using SEMrush as well. Um, like you type in, for example, macarons, and they give you like all sorts of different keywords that or questions that people are asking online. And uh, my idea about SEO is really to answer people's questions. So after fo focusing on the buying intent keywords for the beginning, because, you know, we are business, so we really wanted to bring like sales and, and potential customers. I wanted to attract prospects, you know, people interested about macarons or asking questions about it. Mm -hmm. So, for example, why are macarons so expensive? How do you make macarons? Uh, are macarons gluten-free? All these kind of questions is like people getting interested early on, not ready to buy yet, but still. So we started answering all these questions in a specific blog post. That was my strategy for SEO after that. 
And those questions were less about questions that people asked you at farmer's market and more about based on the keyword analysis and SEMrush, based on that is, is how you develop the content, correct? Or a combination. Yeah, 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 yeah. The, the, I would say the markets, for the farmer's markets, I, I got lots of feedbacks about uh, the products. So the, the macarons itself, like the flavors, the colors, uh, even even some future features that uh, I didn't you know expect, but people gave me some cool feedbacks in the market. For example, uh, I don't know if you saw on our website, but you have the possibility to select only the macarons you like with like a little uh, menu selection, uh, interactive. And uh, that was uh, something that came from, I remember his name, Kevin, in the markets that were buying, you know, macarons from us. Because at the time we were offering like variety set, you know, uh, in a bag of mix and everything. And he, he said, oh, that would be cool if your website could uh, select only what you like, you know. So that was the kind of feedback that helped us shape up our product. And then when I went online, it was, uh, yeah, more like, you know, SEMrush and things like that that would help me, I would say, spread the word online, you know, on the SEO level. Got it. But the, but the those blog posts that you created revolving around those questions, those keyword ideas came from SEMrush then? Is that correct? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They were coming more from, from SEMrush. And uh, yeah, my Google search in general, you know, uh, because SEMrush is kind of a, uh, I would say, uh, they take their data from Google. But if you type some stuff on Google, you can find also like suggested questions that people are asking about a related topic. So, yep, yep. Um, so yeah, that's how I get all my questions that I want to answer and dig into it. Got it. And how did you go about creating a blog post then? So, you know, you want to target the keyword. You have an idea. Okay, I'm going to write a blog post about why are macarons so expensive, for instance. What was the thought process as to what should the word count be? What should I say? Did you struggle with that or was it natural? More natural because, you know, we spent so many months and so many years now with the macarons. So we, we kind of really know everything about it. And um, yeah, we have such experience in it. We saw that the competitors were doing things differently because I ordered from every competitor that we have. And for example, I knew for a fact that they weren't shipping fresh, you know, it was shipping frozen and we are shipping fresh. So that's like a big difference that we are making. And I can tell if something's fresh or not. You know, it's like when you go to the restaurant, if you, I don't know, if you, if you buy a steak or a fish, you know if it's fresh or not by looking at your plate at some point of, you know, experience that you have. So with our experience, it was easier to um, develop this blog post because our product is really authentic, you know, fresh and all that. So we know the difference between what's, what's done the right way and the other way. So yeah, you know, we, we had kind of the answer and we really wanted to dig deep into each topic as well. It's very important to rank, to, you know, show your expertise. And so did you personally write those blog posts? Did, did your wife help out or? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, for example, why are macarons expensive? That's an easy one. Of course, you can answer in one sentence, but you want to elaborate on those. So for example, it's because of the, the recipe that's hard to make. It's not because of the... The ingredients, it's more because of the process of it, you know. So these kind of things, I can, I can do it by myself. Uh, some, some more, um, I would say, touchy topics like uh, how can you tell if, uh, if it's fresh or frozen or, you know, how do you rate frozen macarons, things like that. This way we, we can talk together, you know, with my wife and say, okay, 
what are the different points that you can make a difference between a frozen macaron and a fresh one? So, for example, you have a little layer of white of of, uh, of water on top. It's probably frozen before because it's coming from the towing process. You know, once it was frozen, then it releases water when it comes back to the normal states. So that's the first point. The second point, you might have like a loose of crunch of the outer shell because the water will wet the, the macaron shell, you know, so you will lose that little crunch that you have on the outside of the shell. Uh, so, you know, all these little points, we go deep into it to really explain people that are interested about this question so they can leave the blog post with everything answered, you know. Got it. And over the course of time, how many of these blog posts have you written? Good question. Uh, probably 50 to 100, maybe. I try to tend to do quality, you know, over quantity. I don't want to, we want to rank. So we really want a quality, especially nowadays with, with the competition. You need to make a difference with your expertise. So, so that's why I try to uh, really take more time, maybe, but have a good piece, you know, that answer really the question in deep. So it sounds like when you wrote the blog post, this is more when you launched a strategy. So over a certain point in time, you pretty much were able to create all the blog posts to answer all those questions about Macaron, correct? So I'm assuming at some point you stopped, maybe you started to revise older blog posts, republish them, but at some point you had enough content. Is that is that correct? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So today, for example, um, we, uh, yeah, we kind of answered most of people's questions. Of course, we kind of ran out of questions. But yeah, so SEMrush helped, Google helped, but also our customers online helped because we noticed like a couple of questions we're asking, you know, by our customers. So, huh, you know, if everybody is asking this, let me, let me do a work blog post about it and, and, uh, and answer this for once and maybe send people to this blog post to, to dig into this subject. But yeah, at some point we run out of, uh, of questions to answer, but you can always, uh, for example, I'm, I'm trying now to answer questions related to other French pastries. What is a bonbon? You know, people are asking about this question as well. So I'm trying to, you know, give my expertise of what is it. Things related to... Um, General topics as well I can do as long as I can, you know, place our product into it so it can be related. For example, um, like related to holiday gifts, five best holiday gifts. This is like a, you know, a big keyword, but uh, it's always try. It's always good to try to give your intake on this one. Sure. So yeah, it's it's hard to keep focus, uh, you know, on the business because we already answered all questions. But uh, now we are looking like you know for new topics that we can relate to it. So what has been, you've been blogging then since uh, 2019, 2020? Yeah, I would say so. Mm -hmm. And so what has been the impact? If you were to look at, for instance, your website traffic, would you say an overwhelming majority comes from search? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The organic search are really the first one because we currently today and since a while now, we don't even do uh, Facebook ads, for example. Mm -hmm. So... Google as we do, but you know, it's it, with the competition these days, it's, it's harder to convert. So, you know, most of our traffic is organic. The good thing is you get more traffic, so people get to know you more. But, you know, when you answer not buying intent keywords, uh, like informational keywords, even if people um, have their answer, you know, to their questions, they will leave your website without buying. So it will drop your uh, conversion rate. And now our, our job is really to um, 
try to hook them, you know, to an offer before they leave or, you know, things like that. So that's the, the new challenge after that. Conversion rate optimization, right? So would you say as far as the impact on sales, what impact do you think the organic, the, the blog content has had? Or do you just see it's generate a lot of traffic, but not necessarily sales? No, I would say I would say the sales is hard to track, you know, because uh, most people that um, I would say come from the blog post don't necessarily buy right away. They buy maybe weeks or months later, maybe uh, sure. I don't know in December for the holiday season, and they they wrote the article maybe back in February. So it's kind of hard to track. So it's it's always the same with SEO, you know, it's like a long run. Um, uh, it's a long run uh, strategy. But uh, overall, it spreads, you know, like brand awareness. So, I, you know, it's, it's, always, it's always good to have organic traffic, really. People know you, even if they don't buy from you, they can always relate someone to your business because they, you answer their questions very, in a very expert way. So, yeah, hard to track, but uh, definitely, definitely worth doing for sure. Got it. What are the other things that you think from a digital marketing perspective have been impactful for your business? So you mentioned Google ads, you mentioned doing Facebook ads before. You obviously have built an email list, probably done other organic social media, I'm assuming. How, how is this, you know, how does this all fit together? Where, where do you see, you know, what activities have had the most impact? If you were to sort of summarize. The one thing that I, that I would, SEO for me is really the first thing because it's really the base of your business. What I wanted to, in the beginning, I didn't want to rely on ads because, especially because of, for example, iOS 14 and all that, that you can't really track now any, anymore, you know, those, those sales coming from Facebook. So yeah. for me, SEO is really the first thing to work on early to show your expertise. And it's also a good way to, uh, yeah, to show people that you, you know your product and you are an expert because you can explain things related to it. So really the SEO is, would, would be the, the first, for me, the first base of every business. Over the years, you're going to keep having traffic from these blog posts of this SEO effort that you made, which is not necessarily the case in, in ads. Uh, that said, um, uh, after that, we also, yeah, we're doing Google ads. That's, that's great because people are looking for something and you are advertising them for something that they are searching. Compared sure. to Facebook, where you're just scrolling your stuff, looking at things, and oh, you have a product, but you you are not in demand in the beginning, which is different for Google. So that's why I always try to focus more on Google, SEO is Google, uh, you know, Google, Microsoft, but mostly Google. So that's the second thing. Google Ads is is great too. And then over time, it's really to have a strategy to uh, yeah to build uh, your email and SMS list with a good offer on your website. Because over time, if your product's great and, and you do good customer service and people like what you're doing, you're gonna, you're gonna be able to retarget for, you know, Christmas, new, new types of macarons, new flavors, new colors, uh, new, now we can print any logo, any photo on macarons. So, you know, over time, you're gonna build like your, or your, uh, I would say audience, like customer audience. That um, that is really important and an important part today of our revenue. It's people that are coming back from you know years or maybe months. Yeah, over the over and, and over the years, it's going to be more and more important. On the email side, I'm assuming you're using Klaviyo since you're on Shopify. Yes. Mm -hmm. Okay. Have you played around with lots of different flows? Are you doing a lot of automations, or is it pretty standard 
abandoned shopping cart every month, have some some sort of promo. What's the current state? Yeah, um, so we you do have the, the classic ones because you can't miss them. It's like abandoned cart, of course. We have like a birthday, happy birthday flow that is good too. People, you know, once they order, they can um, enter their birthday birthdays at checkout. And when their birthday is coming up, uh, we send them an email for 12 accounts free for, you know, their order. Smart. So that's that's a cool one too. But yeah, we, so we have a couple of flows like that. I want to make sure to also don't do promo. We never do discount, almost never, maybe Black Friday, but because for me, it kind of, you know, uh, decrease your brand kind of. Yeah, so yeah. if it's, I, I prefer to send things like, okay, seven free macarons for orders over X, better than, you know, 10%, 20%, because it kind of discounts your brand. So our approach to it is really giving away something if you buy something, but not like, uh, you know, giving a percentage off or something like that. So that's our approach to it. Makes a lot of sense. Yeah. What about, so I guess the only other missing piece, you mentioned the difference between Google ads and Facebook ads, which I, I completely agree. What about organic social media? I, I see you have like beautiful images up on Instagram. So has that been an important part? Is that just something that you um, feel is important to to communicate or what has that role been? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, so the Instagram part of it is, um, it was fun. We grew organically as well from zero to 100,000 followers. In the very beginning, what we what we did was really sharing like secret tips, showing the backstage of it. Since it's very colorful and all that, you know, it was pretty popular. And what really uh, helped us grow as well is the the online class that we started to do during COVID. Uh, we were doing like virtual classes to help people make macarons at home, and we were share like secret tips on uh, on the Instagram, and that also grew our community very well. Uh, but the, the the counterpart of that Instagram, you know, following and all that, is that at the end, it's really Instagram algorithm, you know, that control if your content is being sent in front of people, feeds and stuff. So um, sometimes you see a post decreasing, you don't know, you don't know why. Sometimes one is doing amazingly well, you don't know really why. You know, there is that part that you don't really control. So that's the that's the part that you don't control. But on the, on the other side, it gives a, a pretty good, um, I would say, backstage idea from customers. So, you know, if they are on, on Instagram, they can they can go there and see what you are doing. You know, on the website, we have some pictures, but in there we have videos and of the making process and all that. So, you know, it, it gives more legitimacy to, to your business, I would say. Yeah, just sharing some of that with, uh, with our audience. They could see just how, how beautiful very high quality, very engaging, you know, Instagram posts. You mentioned during COVID that you were doing, you know, these virtual classes on cooking. So how did that work? Were you doing Instagram lives, basically? Were you using your email list and bringing people into like a Facebook live environment? Or how did that work? So it was more like we used, uh, you know, Instagram and our community to promote our virtual class so it was it was a buying product you know it was like uh, 79 dollars for the for the ticket and Got um, it. yeah so we were uh, promoting it we were using instagram to promote it so you know sharing secrets and stuff like parts of it and say okay if you're interested for the whole process you can subscribe to the class it's going to be like in two weeks you know this part of things uh, and we were doing the class on zoom 
uh, like on a, on Saturday. Also, for example, we have one coming for Halloween uh, this Saturday. Uh, okay. So yeah, we were really using Instagram as a way to to promote um, these classes, but it wasn't live on Instagram really because our objective was really to to have a you know buying intent, buying people for the tickets for the class because you know it's very valuable what we have to share and. Of course, you can't always give it away for free. And where do you, how do you facilitate the classes then? Is it just over Zoom? They buy the ticket, then they get the link or? Yes. So you, you have the ticket then uh, um, just a day before. So for example, tomorrow, because this class is Saturday. Tomorrow I will send uh, to everyone that purchased the ticket. I will send the, the link and the password. And what we do is really made a custom class because making macarons takes days in, real, in reality. But we had to make it fit into one hour, you know, to, to make sure people have doesn't stay forever. Right. So we compacted the recipe. We, you know, like things like you have to wait for the shells to dry. We already have another batch that's already dried from, from a few hours ago. You know, we kind of have all the steps compacted in one hour. And um, so for one hour, just, you know, people see live what we are doing. That's why we don't advise to bake at the same time because it's, um, like I said, it's a long process. So it's better to, to watch, take a note, and at the end, we answer every single question that, you know, our customer might have. Got it. Makes a lot of sense. So what would you say then to the, the role that organic social? So yeah, I mean, 100,000 followers on Instagram, I think a lot of businesses would, would die for that sort of coverage and, and happen all organically. That, that in itself is its own, you know, case study and success story. But how do you think that has impacted your business? You know, it kind of gives us leg legitimate business. You know, it gives you, I would say, a, a, an impact saying, okay, you're not uh, just an on another online e-commerce. When people see your following and your content on Instagram, they realize, oh, okay, you guys are serious and you're sharing good stuff. So it gives you like a, biz a business card, I would say. You know, it's like a validation business card, I would say. So it gives you a good reputation. It gives you, you know, a way to share the backgrounds, like I said, but it's always showing, okay, you guys are really who you say you are and um, you're doing great stuff from what we are seeing, you know. So it's really like a validation. And it looks like your approach to content was less about like promotion and more about just showcase what you're doing. Yeah, yeah, because it's, you know, it's a very colorful cookie, so it's really impactful to the eye. So that's, uh, that's part of it too, you know, it's good to see this kind of thing. So we share, we share the backgrounds of it, uh, because, you know, macarons are like a, um, like a challenge, you know, for most people, because it's very complicated to make. So people are always like, um, eager to get some tips. So we share the tips part, but we share also, you know, like the new new season coming, new, new flavor, you know, kind of all the, the background news. And I really wanted to make it about the business and not about us. I know, you know, some other business or competitors, they like to showcase themselves and stuff. That's not, that's not our approach to it. I really wanted to be product-centered, product-centered background, you know, secrets about the recipe, what do we do, really about the macarons itself, less than us, you know. Yeah, that's that's a fantastic approach, and I think that's where a lot of a lot of businesses really struggle. I guess you were sort of lucky in that your your product is very visually attractive to begin with and very colorful. Yeah, so it really yeah, fits yeah. a visual network like that. So, um, Anthony, is there anything you know? Looking back, you've been doing this for several years. You're still building the business. 
Is there anything that you might have done differently or anything that you plan to change in your strategy over the next six to 12 months? The change that we are doing right now is that we were very focused on um, business to customer, you know, direct to customer. Uh, so, for example, you, you have an event and we want macarons for your event, you're ordering, we're shipping to you, and that's it. That's, you know, business to customer. Now we are focusing a bit more about business to business. Um, there, there are corporates, events, corporate gifts, for example, for the holiday season coming. We, we are having lots of uh, requests about that. Uh, like, you know, people want to print their logo on the macarons for uh, wow. Netflix, for example, and they want to send it to their employees or their clients. And we do that as well. So I'm focusing on this part of the business as well now, you know, to have both aspects to it. So that's really, that's really our main focus towards the end of year, for example. Oh, wow. So that, that's going to take an entirely different marketing strategy. I'm assuming it's a lot of prospecting working with distributors and yeah yeah yeah. for example i'm uh trying on, on linkedin which is more like a you know business business profiles yeah. so on this one you can target uh, like event planners at uh, specific companies so this is perfectly for them you know your approach is uh, my approach is like you know sending free samples and and you know knowing that the holiday gift season is coming it's yeah. the perfect timing uh right now to try that so yeah i'm really focusing on this aspect right now yeah, that's awesome. Anthony, this has been just a, a wealth of uh, of knowledge and experience. So thank you so much for sharing. I'm assuming that if our viewers and listeners are getting hungry listening to this and they want to try your macarons, I'm assuming we have a link up here on the screen, pastries, P-A-S-T-R-E-E-Z.com is where we should send them? Yes, yeah, yeah, yeah. That's the, that's the website. And we have, um, I don't know when you will be live with this one, but we have new seasonal flavor every month. Now we have Halloween, but we do have also Christmas flavors, Valentine's, uh, like heart-shaped macarons for Valentine's. So yeah, I mean, we have new stuff every month. Very cool. And I'm just, uh, I, you know, showing uh, people your website here. I see you have Halloween macarons for, for those that uh, see this in time. Uh, you have the pop-up seven free macarons today only. Really smart, great uh, way of, you know, getting people on the list and hopefully the conversion rate optimization. So yeah, very cool, very attractive. I hope people listening or watching will check it out. Once again, it is pastries.com, P-A-S-T-R-E-E-Z.com. Anthony, anywhere else we should send people? Uh, Instagram, TikTok, would, would Instagram be the, the big social media channel for you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's our big one. We mostly share you know, the background of it, like I said, and like, like you know the process of it. And for example, we had, a, I think for Christmas, we're going to do that as well. But for Halloween, we have a cool, uh, a cool like contest. So every Halloween orders, we um, we we introduce randomly in orders uh, hocus pocus macaron printed one. And if you find one, you just have to post us, you know, on uh, on your story on Instagram, and you get like a a free twenty four macarons extra. So we're gonna probably do that as well on Christmas since it's doing well for Halloween. That's really really smart, Anthony. Thank you so much. I hope everyone will check out uh, pastries. I wish you the best luck and hopefully our paths will cross because we're only like an hour away from each other. Yes, so, I agree. Yeah, macarons, our whole family loves them. So we'll have to check them out. For sure. Thanks for sharing. It's always a pleasure to share. All right. Well, that is the library of content, especially focusing on non-branded content, the library of content in action. And if it can work for a B2C e-commerce brand, you bet it can work for B2B or any other B2C brand. That's why for me, the library of content is... The first of the chapters that I am going to have on 
teaching SEO in the book, and I think it's actually the most important. If you don't have the content, you can't rank. It really is that simple. How you create that content, the keywords that you decide to target, there's a science, there's an art. I'm going to go into more depth. I'm going to have some you know, workbook exercises around this as well that I, I worked on last night, actually. So really can't wait to talk about that. Make sure you stay in the loop. Sign up to my newsletter, neilshafer.com slash newsletter, so that when I launch my launch team, you'll be one of the first to know. All right, well, I want to thank you all for your subscriptions, for your reviews on the various podcast apps that you listen to this on, as well as those of you that tag me on social media talking about this podcast. I really appreciate it. It is the gasoline that fuels my engine. So thank you, thank you, thank you. And that is it for another episode of the Your Digital Marketing Coach podcast. I will be here next week with a solo show. And I haven't decided yet. Often the topics for solo shows come very much at the moment. But I'm thinking of next week talking about creators and entrepreneurs and the relationship between the two. In fact, I've been talking a lot about since I wrote books and started a blog back in 2008, 2009. I and many others like me are the original content creators. Content creation is not just audio video. And content creators, if they really want to take their work seriously, need to develop a business, need to think like entrepreneurs. And in fact, businesses in their content creation should be thinking more like content creators. And they already know that they're entrepreneurs. So there's an interesting overlap between these concepts that I want to dig in deeper. Just stay tuned the next week. We'll talk then. This is your digital marketing coach, Neil Schaefer. Signing off. You've been listening to your digital marketing coach. Questions, comments, requests, links? Go to podcast.neilshafer.com. Get the show notes to this and 200 plus podcast episodes and neilshafer.com to tap into the 400 plus blog posts that Neil has published to support your business. While you're there, check out Neil's digital first group coaching membership community if you or your business needs a little helping hand. See you next time on Your Digital Marketing Coach.